Welcome to the Word Encounter, episode 221, where we'll be picking things up in the book of Acts, chapter 6. Let's get started. Title here says, Seven Chosen to Serve. It says, In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the uh, Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So we see that, you know, prior to this, we get the idea that uh, as the disciples or the apostles are preaching the word, people are being saved, you know, in, in, in tremendous numbers and everybody's come together and share everything so that those without would have, that nobody would have lack. But as is the case, most of the time when people gather, there are issues. <laughs> and so we see an issue here that one sect of the Jews was complaining that uh, to another sect that their widows were not being attended to as far as the food distribution is concerned. So it says in verse 2, the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, so the apostles summoned all of the disciples, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. This, this to me sounds a little demeaning, right? We can't, we've got important things to do. We can't just wait on tables. And maybe it is a little bit demeaning. I don't know. But what it does point out to me is that all functions need to be functioning at their optimum um, level of functionality. Okay, So that everything, so that all operations can run smoothly. And so the apostles had to preach the word. Their job was to preach the word, to spread the gospel. And then people had to be taken care of. And so there had to be organizations behind this in order to make sure that people were being taken care of. And so they're saying, um, we need to do something about this, so let's solve this problem. So they say, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, uh, whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal, this proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip... Um, See, Pro, Prochorus, I guess, uh, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, yes, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Wow, I hadn't read those names before. <laughs> um, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so this is a practice that we still do today. You know, we pray and we lay hands on people in order to give them an impartation an impartation of knowledge, an impartation of wisdom, impartation of health, an impartation of whatever it is that's needed in order to accomplish the task at hand. And so that is what they did. And then we drop down, it says, Stephen accused of blasphemy. Then it says, now Stephen, full of grace, is the same Stephen that was appointed to make sure that all the widows were being taken care of. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. However, opposition arose from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue. So it's another synagogue. These obviously weren't people who had uh, uh, re received the invitation of Jesus. So these are just Jewish brothers, but they're not uh, fellow Christians. And it says, and they begin to argue with Stephen, but they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. And so they, obviously they didn't learn as people were trying to come against Jesus. They couldn't trap him. They couldn't do anything. He had too much wisdom. You know, too much knowledge. And so Stephen is demonstrating the same thing, and they're getting frustrated. Then it says in verse 11, 
Then they secretly per, uh, persuaded some of the men to say, we heard them speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. So they came, seized them and took them to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, this man never stopped speaking against the holy place and the law. And so we see here, some of this stuff is, they started uh, speaking falsely against uh, uh, Stephen, but a lot of times, in most cases, when people bring false accusation, a lot of times it has elements of truth in there, sprinkled in there. So people, you know, they sprinkle in elements of truth with elements of falsehood when they bring false accusation. In verse 14 it says, For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth uh, will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Well, that's kind of sort of accurate, you know, kind of sort of. You see, but Jesus was fulfillment of the law that Moses came. And so they said that, um, that Jesus said that he will destroy this place, which he did say, but he was talking about his body, his temple, you know, and change the customs. Well, yeah. That is what he did. He changed the customs because he changed, you know, from just observing the law to having the law essentially live inside you to invite God to live inside you so that wickedness and evilness would be driven out. In verse 15, then it says, and all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw his face was like the face of an angel. It continues on uh, in chapter seven, Stephen's sermon. Then it says, Are these things true? The high priest asked. Brothers and fathers, Stephen replied, listen, the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. And then um, in verse three, it says, and he said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Remember, that's what that's what God told Abraham to do. And then what follows in, in, in several verses is the detailed accounting of the Israelite experience from Abraham on. And so <clears throat> Stephen goes through in detail. He talks about the patriarchs in Egypt. He goes uh, on and, and he talks about Moses as a rejected uh, um, savior. And he goes on, he just re- he, he's recounting everything that they should know. Okay, so he's going through and recounting all of this history. It's a good summary, if you will, if we read from about verse four, through about verse, uh, let's let's drop down here. Through about verse fifty, is a is a recounting of the 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 Israelite journey with God. You know, through Egypt into the wilderness. You know, as they come into uh, driving out uh, Joshua, driving out the territories, them acquiring the land, and then going through the the age of the kings. And so he he's going through this whole history. And as he gets through, this is what he says. The title here is resisting the Holy Spirit. He says in verse fifty one, "You stiff necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears." <laughs> You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, so do you also. And so we see here that he has just gone through this history, pointing out all of the ways that the Israelites veered off from God. And then he concludes with, you stiff-necked people. You're essentially doing the same thing that your ancestors did. In verse 52, it says, which, is the, which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one. Those betrayers and murderers you have now become. So those treacherous ancestors of yours have now turned into you. You are now them. You're doing the exact same thing. 
You received the law under the direction of angels, yet you have not kept it. Says the first martyr in verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and gashed their teeth at him. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So can you imagine this? So they're angry at him. They're they're ready to rush him. And he just calmly looks up and tells and, and speaks out what he sees. He says, look, I see the glory of God. And Jesus is at his right hand. Verse 57, they yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears as this, we can't, can't hear this, this is blasphemous. They yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. The witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So a young man named Saul is observing this. And they're laying their garments at his feet. So Saul must have had some kind of reputation amongst the people for them to lay their garments at, at his feet as they're stoning, as they're stoning Stephen. See? <clears throat> While they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, I don't know if I could have done this. Well, if I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I guess so. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. They are stoned. And for you, you might not understand what stoning is. Okay, stoning, they're not just throwing rocks. See, in a lot of cases, like with stoning, I don't know if it happened here, but they would put people in a pit and sometimes cover them up to their neck with dirt so that they couldn't move. And they would take stone boulders, if you will, you know, go up to them and throw and hit people in their heads, you know, and and do that until they died. So stoning may sound a little antiseptic, but this is brutal. And so it says, um, he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. After this, he fell asleep. I, I just don't know. That, after saying that, he fell asleep. I mean, after saying that, he died. He was killed. He was murdered. He was murdered. Uh, but before, just like Jesus, before he expired, before his body expired, he asked for their forgiveness because they, you know, both Jesus and Stephen concluded that they were ignorant and they didn't know what they were doing. Let's go on to chapter eight. It says, Saul agreeing to put him to, excuse me, Saul the persecutor. It says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. Now, Saul, I've, I've read, um, in, in some research that he was a student of Gamaliel. Now, remember, Gamaliel was the one who cautioned the Pharisees about what they wanted to do uh, with regard to Peter and John, because uh, he said, look, if, this, if they're of men, if they're, if they're promoting or trying to advance man's agenda, they're going to fail. But if they're promoting and advancing God's agenda, nothing you can do is going to stop it. And so just let them go, let them be. And so this is Gamaliel. This is one who was a highly regarded, highly regarded and had a high degree of wisdom. And so apparently Saul was studying under uh, Galil- Gal- Gamaliel. And um, so he was of some renown. And so we don't hear anything about Gamaliel here. So Saul seems like he has some degree of authority within the Sanhedrin, you know. <clears throat> 
And so um, so Saul agreed to put him to death. Saul agreed with putting him to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. So they murdered Stephen. They killed Stephen. And on that day, I guess they were just fed up. And so they were going to persecute the whole church, you know, uh, because they were tired of this Jesus stuff. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. So everybody, all the communal living, it seems like everybody living together, taking care of each other, all that was destroyed. It seems like they all scattered in different directions. Devout men buried Steve and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. Saul was on a mission to get rid of this thing they called the way. So Saul was on a mission to get rid of the way. It says Philip in Samaria in verse 4. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. So they were scattered, but they didn't stop their mission. See, <laughs> they were deposed from where they were living, but wherever they went, they were still doing what they were called to do. It says Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said, and they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So they were being persecuted in Jerusalem, but wherever they went, they were still preaching the gospel. They were still driving out demons. They were still healing people. And where they went, there was great joy. The response of Simon. Now, this isn't Simon Peter. This is a different man named Simon. A man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least of them to the greatest. And they said, this man is called the great power of God. So he had he had a sorcerer, a soothsayer. Uh, Today, we might call him psychics. Or whatever, and and they had a he had a tremendous reputation uh, amongst the people, great and small, and they labeled him as a, a man that was uh, that had great po- had the great power of God. That's how he was looked at. Verse eleven, it says they were attentive to him because he had amazed them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, both men and women were baptized. So then Philip comes along preaching the word of God, preaching the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. And so and in his name, he was baptizing. He was converting men and women to the way, you know. And it says in verse 13, even Simon himself believed this. And after he was baptized, so Simon the sorcerer was baptized He followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. Says Simon's sin in verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. After they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. Notice a couple things here. First of all, after they went down and they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans. See, Jesus broke that spirit off of them. So here we have Peter and John going down to the Samaritans in order to impart the Holy Spirit into the hated people or the previously hated people. See, Jesus can heal all this stuff. Then it says, 
uh, that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not come down on any of them. He, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a he, as a person, not a thing, not, not you know, some uh, ethereal uh, type thing, mysterious thing or whatever. It's referred to as a person, as a he, the person of the Holy Spirit. See, after they went down there, they prayed for them so that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw uh, that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, uh, give me this power also, so that anyone I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter told him, May your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. All right. I mean, we could pause right here and really take a deep dive into this. We, in our present-day society, worship money. We have a tendency to worship money. And that even exists inside the church. And so uh, many people, many churches, many church organizations look at money as the salvation to their issues as opposed to looking towards God. Money is but a tool. Money is a tool to be used in the performance of executing the mission of the Lord. But it can become the end for many people. And so Peter told him, may your silver be destroyed with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. If our purposes are heavenly oriented and heavenly inspired, God has the resources to fund them in the way he chooses to fund them. That doesn't mean that we have to go out and do things and put money on a pedestal in a certain position and fool ourselves into thinking that we're doing this for the Lord when we're actually doing it for ourselves. In verse 21, it says, You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord if possible, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. For I see you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. So Peter is seeing through Simon. He's saying, you need to repent, dog, because I see, you know, you're jealous and you're angry and you want power for, for, for power's sake. You want to be, you want to keep your position of well-renown uh, and, and, and respect of the people. And you're not motivated by the things of the Lord. You're bound by bitterness and wickedness. It says in verse 24, pray to the Lord for me, Simon replied, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Uh, so after they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they traveled back to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And so they're going back to Jerusalem now and coming back, they're still preaching the gospel to the dreaded Samaritans. And I would assume baptizing them and giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says the conversion of the Ethiopian official. This is, this is interesting. In verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship the Lord. So we see here that this eunuch 
had come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. This high official uh, in, 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 in the Ethiopian ranks had come to Jerusalem to, to worship the Lord. Okay, so he, he wasn't a Jew. And so, again, the reputation of the Lord was drawing people. And he was sitting in his chariot on the way home, reading the prophet Isaiah out loud. So it says in other translations, he wasn't just sitting. He was riding. I guess he had a driver. He was sitting in his chariot, and they were trotting back, you know, back to uh, going back home. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When, when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And so in verse 31, uh, the, 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 the Ethiopian says, or the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip up uh, to come and sit with him. Now, what this points out to us, or what it should point out to us, is there are times, many times, as a matter of fact, when we need assistance in interpreting the scriptures. We need assistance in interpreting the word. See, because one of the things that we don't want to fall into is deception. We don't want to think we're reading something that the scripture is not saying. And so sometimes we need in, in assistance in the interpretation of what is being said. You know, and sometimes in that interpretation, we have a witness within us called the spirit. And if, 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 if the interpretation is witnessing to our spirit, you know, if there's a connection, if you will, that's how I know whether something where I'm hearing is truth or not. Because sometimes I'm hearing things that are truth that I don't particularly like, but it resonates with my spirit. So I know it's true, even though I don't like it. See, And so you can't use like what your likes or dislikes, your emotions or whatever to determine whether something is truth or not. A lot of people do that. Well, I don't like what that says, so therefore I don't believe it. No, 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 no. Truth is truth whether you like it or not. So you can't let your likes and dislikes or emotions get in the way of discovering truth. It says now uh, the scripture passage he pat, the scripture passage he was reading was was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent uh, before its shears, so does so he does not open his mouth. In his hum humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe this generation? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is this prophet saying this about? Himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, uh, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and baptized, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared at, um, at Azotus, and he was uh, traveling and preaching the, uh, the gospel in all the towns he came uh, until he came to Caesarea. So we see that... <clears throat> Uh, he came up out of the water. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him anymore. So it, it, I guess Philip was supernaturally trans, uh, transported somewhere else after he did this. Now, we see that Philip was ready to minister to this, uh, to this eunuch, and the eunuch was ready to receive the word. And so we need to be filled with the word so that when the opportunity presents itself, we can assist people in what it is that they're trying to, to know. We're going to go on to chapter 9. It says uh, the Damascus Road and, uh, in verse 1. This is all about Saul's conversion. This is amazing. Now Saul was still breathing, oh, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. 
He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So we see here under the Roman Empire, so I guess the, 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 the Jews had some sort of authority amongst their own kind. And so because they're in Jerusalem, but he's extending authority to Damascus, which is in Aram. And so Paul, uh, Saul wants to go up there and persecute Christians up there, which is outside of his home territory. But anyway, as he traveled, he was nearing Damascus. A light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, this is Jesus talking. Why he, Saul is thinking he's persecuting you know, people who believe in the way, but Jesus is coming at him. Why are you persecuting me? In verse 5, who are you, Lord, Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. This describes people today. Their eyes can be open, but they see nothing. They've allowed themselves to be blinded because they don't want to know the truth. So they looked, so they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. He was unable to see for three days, and he did not eat or drink anything. Saul's baptism in verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, not the same Ananias that Peter had uh, uh, confronted about him keeping his resources back. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. The Lord says, get up and go to the street called Straight uh, to the house of Judas and ask a man from Tarsus and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain sight. So God is telling Ananias that I have placed visions in Paul so that he could see what was about to happen, that you, Ananias, are going to go there and lay your hands on him so he can see again. But Ananias says, Lord, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings and Israelites. Jesus is saying, or the Lord is saying, look, go. I know what he's done. I know what he's done. But my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I have a plan. Just follow and obey. It says in verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hand on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. So Paul was unblinded by Ananias and he got up and immediately was baptized. Saul proclaiming the Messiah. Then it says in verse 20, immediately after all this happened, Saul began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? I would be confused too. But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So he was proved. They were skeptical. They were skeptical, but he kept preaching and kept preaching. They didn't know his conversion. 
After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. So now the Jews, they, they said he was one of us, but now obviously he isn't. We got to get rid of him. But, but Saul learned of their plot so that they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening wall. So Saul had disciples. He had made converts. And so, you know, the wall is around the city and there are windows in the wall. So they took him and instead of him getting killed, they lowered him from the window so that he could escape the plot to kill him. It says Saul in Jerusalem. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had been the Lord, had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with them or with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And through this whole time, the church is continuing to grow. And Peter, is, is during this time, is doing what Jesus did. It says the healing of Aeneas. And Peter was traveling. He says there he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, make your bed. And immediately got up and he started walking. And then Peter, Peter raised somebody from the dead. And so in verse 36, uh, Tabitha dies, and, uh, or he discovers Tabitha, and then she dies. And then uh, it says in verse 40, Peter sent them uh, out of the room. He came to her, and he sent everybody out of the room, cleared the atmosphere of doubt and unbelief. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. He called the saints and widows and presented her alive. Wow. Jesus is awesome and obedience is powerful. With that, we're done today. We'll pick things up tomorrow in uh, Acts chapter 10. Everybody stay blessed, keep safe, and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Bye-bye.